Well, this morning we are continuing in our series in Ecclesiastes, an Old Testament book with some mystery to it. Who is the author? When was it written? Um, answers that we don't have, but we do know that the main character, who in the Hebrew is called Koheleth or the preacher, we do know that it is a Solomon-like individual. Many have thought that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Modern scholarship has changed that perception. Um, but regardless, as a book of wisdom, which is what Ecclesiastes is, it's an Old Testament book of wisdom. As a book of wisdom, it has much to say to us. And as every book in the Bible it's the inspired Word of God, and it's been preserved for us so that we can hear God speak to us this morning. Now, as we, as we study the Scriptures, as we do each Sunday, as we're gathered here to learn from the Scriptures, to hear God's Word, um, the, the co- constant theme throughout the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, is creation, fall, recreation. That is what you're going to see in every book of the Bible. My encouragement, my challenge to you today is as I'm sharing and as we're reading through the passage, as we're studying a a particular passage in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, I want you to look for that. I want you to see where you can be able to find either creation, fall, recreation, um, and you'll, you'll see it to, you might see it to varying degrees, but Look for it, because it's there, and we will discover it at the end. So turn with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes. And we're going to study a very long passage. And the reason it's a long passage this morning is that it is a literary unit. So I I could, um, as Devin and I spoke, we could break it up into smaller units, but then it would lose its, I think, effect as we, as we read through this. And so um, I, don't, I don't want to break it up. So starting in verse 12 of chapter 1. Last week we began in chapter 1, now starting in verse 12. And I'm going to read all the way through to the end of chapter 2. So, so in one sense, bear with me as I read along, follow along. But in another sense, this is the reading of God's Word. And so... If that was all I did today, was just read God's Word, it would, it would be enough for you. It should be enough for you to hear God speaking through His Word. So, listen as I read along, follow as I read along, and begin to look for those, those themes. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. 
And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born to my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. 
Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Wow. The preacher, the second Solomon, now begins to speak personally. This is his autobiography, his story about his journey as he searches for the meaning of life. And now his journey begins in earnest as he goes on a quest to explore life in every facet, to search and hopefully discover if there's any gain, if there's any profit in living at all. And as we read in Ecclesiastes 1 through 11, which we studied last week, his motto and his discovery there is this, all is vanity. All is empty. Vanity, it's a vapor. It doesn't last. It, it disappears. It is meaningless. All is meaningless. And that is the motto that we will see because he says time and time again in the book of Ecclesiastes, I viewed life from under the sun. I viewed life from under the sun. A life that was viewed, and that phrase under the sun, he views life apart from God. That, that God is not involved here. And so he sees life from under the sun and he comes to the conclusion, life is meaningless. And his search for meaning apart from God is coming to nothing. In Woody Allen's movie many, many years ago, Love and Death, two characters have this following exchange. Boris says, Sonia, what if there is no God? Sonia replies, Boris Dimitrov, are you joking? Boris, well, what if we're just a bunch of absurd people who are running around with no rhyme or reason? Sonia, but if there is no God, then life has no meaning. Why go on living? Why not just commit suicide? Boris, well, let's not get hysterical. I could be wrong. I'd hate to blow my brains out and then read in the newspaper they found something. Now, that, that is... That it's a movie from 30 years ago that's, that gets it. That people are searching for the meaning of life. And as we go on this journey with the preacher, we're going to look at his search for the meaning of life. So let me tell you how we're going to proceed. First, we're going to look at three points. Um, the search, his search for the meaning of life. The outcome of that search for the meaning of life, and then the surprising conclusion of that search. And the first point is going to be a longer point, and then we'll, we'll move quickly through the last two points. So let's look at the first point, the search for the meaning of life. Verses 12 through 11 in chapter 2. So he's begun his search. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And so in his search for the meaning of life, 
he searches in three places. He, he searches for it in wisdom, he searches for it in folly, and he searches, searches for it in pleasure. In verse 13, we see that his search is quite earnest. He says, I applied my heart. Now, I know what it is to search. I, I spend my life searching for things that my wife always knows where they are, but I don't. So they're never lost. They're always somewhere. I just don't know where they are. So I'm always searching for my car keys. I'm always searching for my checkbook. And for those of you who don't know what a checkbook is, that is this thing that you write on and people give you money when you give them the check. Um, most of you don't have check. Does everybody have a checkbook here? No, see. It's the old people who raise their hands for the checkbook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm typically searching for my watch. I'm, I'm always searching for something. Marilyn, where did I leave that? Marilyn, where is this? Marilyn, do you know? That is, that is my great search. And here, the preacher is applying his heart quite earnestly. He's searching for the meaning of life to see if it is in wisdom. And that's where, in verse, starting in verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And then he, he says this proverb in verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now, the search for meaning is not a, a bad thing. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so what we're searching for, what all of humanity is searching for, is meaning. Because eternity lives in our hearts. We're trying to find what is the, the meaning of life. And the preacher sees in this search that it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man. Now, why, why does he say that? Here is the first time in this, in this book that God is mentioned. But it's not mentioned, God is not mentioned in a happy way. God is mentioned in an unhappy way. And, and what he's communicating is, is that all that happens in life, all that the, the suffering and the pain and the toil and the hardship that I experience, that unhappy business, that comes from God. Here's the, here's the result of my search for wisdom. God makes life bad. God God isn't there when I need him. God doesn't show up when I am desperate. When God can rescue me, he doesn't. God, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to live in this world, to experience the heartache and the pain that we experience. It is an unhappy business. Whether it's bad relationships, unkind comments that people make about us, things we don't have, losses we experience, rampant evil in our world, it is an unhappy business that God has allowed. And so his conclusion in verse 14 is this, I have seen everything, everything that is done under the sun. And behold, it's all meaningless. It's all a striving after the wind. Now that phrase striving after the wind is used for the first time here and and the picture is it's it's trying to herd or or corral wind i was 
I was at a, a couple of years ago, I went to the golf course just to hit golf balls, to go to the driving range. I got a big bucket of balls and I had my golf clubs in one hand, bucket of balls in another, stepped, slipped, dropped the bucket of golf balls, which are about 70 golf balls. They hit the cement and they run in every direction. And I'm there trying to corral and grab golf balls that are running, going down the cart path to the next hole. And I am striving after the wind. That's what the picture is here. That's how he sees life. He says it's all striving after the wind. And then he concludes his unhappy quest for wisdom, for searching the meaning of life in wisdom, with verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The preacher has realized that the meaning of life and the wisdom that I discover to find out the meaning of life, that wisdom, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. What is crooked cannot be made straight. Think about it. Conflict that you have. Have you ever been in a conflict with your spouse and you're so deep into the conflict and it's getting more and more emotional, more and more intense, and you're about an hour into this conflict and you realize you don't even remember why you had the conflict. You just know that you're upset, you're angry, you're struggling at this moment, and you're thinking, I'm not even sure how we got here because so many things happened along the way in our conversation, in our conflict, that I don't even know when we started and how we got there. And that, I don't even know now, I don't know how I can straighten this out. Because I can't straighten out what I don't know caused the problem. And that's what he's saying here. It cannot be made straight. And he says simply this, human wisdom cannot undo the curse of the fall. So, in his search for the meaning of life, he looks at wisdom And he discovers that wisdom is vanity. It is a striving after the wind because human wisdom cannot undo the curse of the fall and cannot give him the answer to the meaning of life. The human wisdom done under the sun. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And here's my conclusion about wisdom. Wisdom cannot make the crooked straight and it cannot count what can't be counted because it's nothing there. If it's lacking, it can't be counted. So, in his search for the meaning of life, wisdom comes up empty. So then he looks for it in folly. Look at verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over me in, before me in Jerusalem, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And so, here he goes again. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. So he, he goes after madness and folly. Here, this Solomon-like individual who Solomon in 1 Kings was obtained great wisdom. No one in Israel had ever been as wise as Solomon. He, he goes now, instead of his wisdom, he goes to folly. Philip Ryken in his, in his commentary says this about folly. 
When he says madness and folly in this verse, he's not talking about insanity, but immorality. In other words, the preacher was using madness and folly the way they are usually used in the Old Testament to refer to the mad foolishness of living in disobedience to God. The preacher wasn't trying to see if losing his right mind would help him understand the meaning of life. Rather, he was trying to understand the difference between right and wrong. Many people take the same approach to life today. Even if they are not sure where God fits in or whether or not there's a God at all, they still believe there's a difference between right and wrong. They still want to lead a good moral life. They, the preacher who wrote Ecclesiastes wanted to be a good person too, so he sought to understand wisdom and folly. Unfortunately, as we're going to see in chapter 2, he studied folly all too well. He dove headfirst into a world of folly. In 1 Kings 11, Solomon, who the preacher represents, fell tragically into foolish sin. Tragically. Did it help him find meaning in life? Did diving into folly help this preacher find meaning to life? Absolutely not. Again, in verse 17, it says, I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. And in verse 18, he says these, this proverb again, and he says this powerful statement. He says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. Now, remember, this is, this is human wisdom. This is not God-given wisdom. This is wisdom that he's obtained under the sun. Wisdom apart from God. And in that wisdom, he's come to this conclusion. It's vexation. It tears me apart. And not only that, he said, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now think about that for a moment. Think about the knowledge of God. And here he's saying, he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, you've got to look. That, is, that increase of knowledge is with respect to folly. Where do you know that the search for knowledge, the increase of knowledge, was most sorrowful? How about Genesis 2, verse 17? When Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate, and her eyes were opened. And then Adam ate, and his eyes were opened, and they saw all the good and evil. How sorrowful that moment was. And that is what is happening here. He looked for meaning. He looked for the meaning of life in wisdom. It was vanity. He looked for the meaning of life in folly. It's vanity. And now the folly expands. And he looks for the meaning of life in pleasure. Verse 1 of chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? And then he goes on to describe what he did. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. 
Oh, my. (laughs) Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book entitled When All You Ever Wanted Isn't Enough. When all you ever wanted isn't enough. And this is an apt description of 2 through 11 here. When all you ever wanted, when all he ever wanted isn't enough. For all the pleasure that the preacher experienced, it still left him empty. He still came to the same conclusion he had come to before. All is vanity. It's, it's meaningless. The preacher fills his life with every pleasure he can find. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. So I am being wise and yet I'm searching it for it in folly and in pleasure. He tries He tries to create this world for himself. He, he tries wine. He tries folly. He builds houses. He builds gardens and parks. He plants vineyards. He he. He plants fruit trees. He builds pools to water the forest of growing trees. He buys slaves. He buys livestock. He gathers riches. He, he has entertainment with singers. And he has concubines. He has women for sex. He tries it all. He tries it all. And what he has done here, my friends, is in his human Wisdom in his search and in his folly and in his desire for pleasure, he attempts to create a Garden of Eden. And he does. He creates a secular Garden of Eden with no forbidden fruits. He tries to create paradise on earth. He even convinces himself that he's being guided by wisdom. This wisdom in verse 3 of chapter 2. I did all of this and still obtained my wisdom. How, How often do we deceive ourselves? As we are searching after things to find meaning or we are searching after things or we are heading or edging into an area of sin and we deceive ourselves. No, I've got this. We think we're being wise when we are diving headfirst into foolishness and into sin. Now in Ecclesiastes, all pleasure is not evil. Please don't don't walk out of here this morning. I mean this is this is depressing stuff. Here's a guy he's searching for the meaning of life. So I'm gonna go search for it. I'm gonna see if wisdom will give me meaning to life. No Okay, I'm going to see if folly, just being rebellious, if I'm, if I'm going to be unwise, if I'm going to be immoral, will that give me meaning to life? Nah. All right, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it with pleasure. I'm, there's just nothing I'm going to withhold from myself. Nothing at all. He, he goes on. He goes on to say, and whatever, in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I mean, many of the things here are not bad. Many of the pleasures, laughing, planting vineyards, 
glass of wine, creating gardens, building houses. They're all commendable biblical pleasures. The problem is that some of the pleasures are immoral and all of them were idolatrous because they had no connection to God. Because they were done, they were searched for under the sun. God was in the background and the preacher in his quest to be fulfilled, to find meaning in life, went unfulfilled. Even though he thought that his wisdom remained. And what he discovers is this. He discovers that pleasure has a way of promising more than it can produce. Think about that. Pleasure always promises more than it can produce. How often I have been disappointed when I go to a restaurant and I see this certain item on the menu and, and I just build up this meal in my mind. And it comes and it just is a bomb. It's just like, I, I don't want to pay for this. I don't even want to eat all of this. It's just, but I've built it up in my mind. The pleasure that I was anticipating did not get produced. And this goes much, much further. All for his search for meaning. Again, it is a vanity, as he says in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is his search for the meaning of life. That's point one. He searched for the meaning of life by trying wisdom. He searched for the meaning of life by trying folly. He searched for the meaning of life by trying pleasure. And he comes back to his motto that he told us in chapter one, vanity, vanity, life is vanity. In other words, meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless. Everything I've tried in life has no meaning to me. It just is empty. And then here's the outcome of his search, starting in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done? And then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. So he, he begins to discover that there is more gain in wisdom. Okay, maybe there's some wisdom here. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceived, and here's the point of this section, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is vanity. For as for of the wise as of the fool... There is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all would have been long forgotten, and how the wise dies like the fool. That's the outcome of his search for the meaning of life. The outcome is this. Death ruins everything. That's the event he's talking about here. And yet I perceive the same event happens. The same event happens to us all. Death ruins everything. Death renders wisdom and folly meaningless. Death renders toil and hard work meaningless. 
I saw in verse 13, then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness. So true. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So true. And yet I perceive the same event happens to us all. We all die. We all die. We all die. Yeah, wisdom is better than folly. But here's the problem. We all die. And the dead are not remembered. Verse 16, For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been forgotten. Think about that. All will have been forgotten. The dead are not remembered. And whether you are wise or foolish, you're going to end up in the same place. And then he goes on in verse 17. The outcome of this search is that since we all die, what's the use of being wise? Why bother? So here's his outcome. Verse 17. So I hated life. I hated life. Here is the outcome from the curse of the fall. Hating life because it has no meaning. He also discovers that death renders all his work, not just his being remembered, but his his work, all that he has done. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all that which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. For all his hard work, for all that he attained, all that he accumulated, all that he had accomplished, death renders it all meaningless. That's the outcome. He can't take it with him. He has to leave it to somebody else. And who knows if that person's going to handle it wisely or he's just going to use it in folly, searching after pleasure. He, he's just despairing. He's struggling. He's filled with vexation so, so badly to the point that look in, in verse 12, for 23, for all his days are full of sorrow. His work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. He, he stays up all night. He, he struggles all night. I've, I've worked so hard. I've accumulated all this. I've, I've attained all of this. I've, I've experienced and I've put together this legacy of mine. And now someone's going to come along and they're going to ruin it all. And so he lays in bed all night just vexed and fearful that all that he's done is meaningless. And so he not only hates life, he hates toil. He hates his work. The outcome does not have a happy ending. It's one of defeat. And as he says here, he despairs in verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. (laughs) 
Woody Allen in the movie Annie Hall, in his main character, Alvy Singer, says to another character, I feel like, I feel that life is divided into the horrible and the miserable. That's the two categories. The horrible are like, I don't know, terminal cases, you know, and blind people, crippled. I don't know how they get through life. It's amazing to me. And the miserable is everyone else. So be thankful that you're miserable because that's very lucky to be miserable. <laughs> that's, that's the preacher here. I've tried it all. I've searched in every place I could look for. And the outcome is, is that either it's really horrible or life is miserable. But that's as good as it gets when life is lived under the sun. And again, you must be thinking, why would my pastor preach from a book like this? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> crawl under the covers <laughs> and not come back again for a few Sundays until this series is done. <laughs> well, point three is the surprising conclusion. The outcome was bad, of course. But there's a surprising conclusion. Look at verse 24. There's this shift. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. The preacher finally says something positive. After almost two full chapters, he's been in the wilderness of despair. Um, and finally, optimism a little bit shows up here in this last few verses. The preacher finally brings God into the picture. He has been living under the sun. He's been viewing everything from under the sun. He's been trying everything under the sun. He's been doing it apart from God. He's been doing it in his own ability, his own human wisdom. And human wisdom, right? listen, we, we can have wisdom. You look at humanity and those who don't know Christ, who don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who have not repented of their sins, who have not come to faith in knowing God, they still do good things. Moral goodness still happens. They still make good decisions. I was watching last night on television this, this um, special called Operation Smile. It's, and and it, the reason I was fascinated was because they were, they were showing doctors in Burma and the Philippines, two places I've been with medical teams, and they have these medical teams where these doctors go in, plastic surgeons, and they are, they are changing the life of, of little children who have cleft lips, who have deformities on their faces. And, and I was, I'm, I'm weeping as I'm watching this. Humanity can do good things. 
But that doesn't make it godly. It just makes it good. And so under the sun is how he has been living. But finally, he brings God into the picture. He now elaborates on the difference it makes to live with God and to live without him. And he finally sees some positive end. Is, is life better with God than when, when, when he, he says in verse 26, he, he has this positive view that God does good things. I saw this is from the hand of God. It's better for a person that he should drink and eat and find enjoyment. Well, who can eat or drink and have enjoyment without God? There is this realization that he's come to. It's brief because as we go on in Ecclesiastes, you'll see he goes back into some of his old ways. But there's this recognition. I, I cannot do life without God. Philip Ryken writes in his commentary, he says, this last verse here, all this good stuff, and they said, this is also vanity and striving after the wind. He says, Charles Dickens' publisher asked him to change the line from the very famous opening of his novel in A Tale of Two Cities. Mr. Dickens, either it was the best of times or it was the worst of times. It can't be both. But it can be both. Why? Because we live in a cursed world, a world cursed by sin. But it is also a world that God created essentially good and that he visited in the flesh and is working to redeem through the life and death and resurrection of his son. Thus we experience joy as well as sorrow, especially if we know God in a personal and saving way. And so when we see here in verse 24 and 25, the the preacher is saying, look, God does provide goodness. God does provide real true enjoyment. Enjoyment. God does because it comes from the hand of God. And then he goes on to say, but this is also vanity and striving after the wind. He's not contradicting himself. He's saying, look, in life there's both joy and sorrow because of the curse of the fall. But because Christ has come, sorrow isn't the final answer. The difference is ultimately whether or not we know God. Philip Ryken said, Few things are better in life than to receive his earthly blessings as gifts and then return thanks to him. To the sinner here, I mean, to those of us who know God, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and he's given knowledge and he's given joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. In other words, those who, who remain in sin, who reject God, who turn away from God, who, who follow after human wisdom, who live in folly and live in pleasure. Those who follow that lifestyle, all that they accomplish, that's what's happening in these earlier verses. It's all going to be going to those who do know God. Now that sounds, is that, is that mean? No, that's, that's the holiness of God and the judgment of God and the righteousness of God and the justice of God. So here's, here's my proposition at the end of my, my message. Since all our worldly endeavors are futile, worldly endeavors, not endeavors, since our worldly endeavors are futile, find enjoyment in God's daily gifts of food, drink, and toil. Simple. Celebrate the good pleasures God gives. But 
Brothers and sisters, do not miss celebrating God himself. Celebrate the good things that God has given you. Celebrate the good life that you have. Celebrate the the wonderful things in your life. But do not miss celebrating God himself. How how do you know if you do celebrate God? Well, let me ask this. What what do people observe when they see your life and the pleasures you experience? What, What impresses them most? The photos of where you've been and what you've eaten or what you're wearing or how much fun you had? Or are are they able to discover God? in the midst of the goodness that you're experiencing. There's nothing wrong with celebrating. But how often is God glorified in the celebration of the good pleasures he sent your way? Is your celebration under the sun or or is it in the heavens? Look, the preacher is searching for the meaning of life. He searched for it in wisdom, he searched for it in folly, he searched for it in pleasure, and it was empty. And the outcome was, he recognized death, death ends it all. So he ended up hating life, and he ended up hating work, the very thing that God had created him to do. But then, God intervenes, and his eyes are opened, and he sees that goodness and pleasure and enjoyment do come from the hand of God. Not a wisdom from below, but a wisdom from above. Not a knowledge from below, but a knowledge from above. God expects you, brothers and sisters, to find joy in all his gifts, in work, in family, in church, in your relationships. And so do you find joy in this life? That's the question this morning. Is is work for you, when you go to work, is it a joy or is it a rat race? Do, do you thank God it's Friday or do you thank Him for the gift of work? Do you celebrate the pleasures that He has brought your way or do you just simply celebrate the pleasure for the pleasure itself? Does your heart stress or does it rest at night about your work? The preacher struggled to find joy until he came out from under the sun. The preacher struggled to find joy until he looked for God. Derek Kinder says this, as verse 24 points out, the very toil that tyrannized him was potentially a joyful gift of God if only he had had the grace to take it as such. All these enjoyments are promised to us in God. We've been given an inheritance in him that cannot be surpassed by any earthly pleasure. That inheritance of eternal life cannot be surpassed by any earthly pleasure. But there's an inheritance. There's a joy. He, he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. There's a joy that God has given us when we don't live life under the sun, but when we find our greatest joy in him because we have been created in his image. We've been created to enjoy work. We've been created to do the work that God has created us for in Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul writes that we are his workmanship created in him that we should walk in them. We, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Psalm 1611, one of my favorite verses 
that really speak, that wonderfully speaks to this passage. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what the preacher discovered. He discovered God. As you are going about your day, as you're working with your children, as you're working in your house, as you're working in your yard, as you're working at your job, as you're going through life, if you know Christ, you have real meaning because eternity truly does live in your heart. But it's easy at times to fall into work is a rat race. Oh, thank God it's Friday. And not to see that we were created by God. We are His workmanship created for good works. We should be giving thanks for that. 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5 Paul writes, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Brothers and sisters, our toil is not in vain because our toil is in Christ. And so as we continue our series in Ecclesiastes, be aware that life under the sun doesn't deliver. It is vanity. But life under the heavens, under God, it delivers pleasures, as we see in Psalm 1611. Pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we are we're so grateful that you have given us pleasure forevermore. Pleasure that we have found in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, help us to see life, not from under the sun, but to see life from your eyes and to experience the joy and the goodness of life as we pursue Christ. It is good to know you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And then close with our benediction for you this morning. Jude 24, 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.